Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. There's really like a full season's worth of material in this episode, like there, just in terms of the number of topics that appear. Um, but, you know, the, the sort of dominant or one, you know, I would say the dominant topic is, um, you know, what we call chupat nida. Um, what happened? Wait, can we, can I just stop you for a second? Can we tell everybody? I thought that he had watched the wrong episode because I was like five minutes in and I said, how do you not want to talk about this and this and this? And he was like, just wait, there are going to be many other things that we could talk about, like mikvah and like two different beds and all of those kinds of things. But this is this is kind of the most prominent and maybe the more interesting of the. And I'm hoping I'm hoping those will reappear again. I haven't seen part of them in this, so I don't know that they'll reappear. But I'm hoping they'll reappear because like yeah, so, you know, okay. um, we'll see. But yeah, but the chupat nida is a really um, challenging topic, and you know we were looking earlier at some of the sources around. It. You know, actually, the, the Talmud talks about this case um, in in Masechet Ketubot about you know if a woman is in nida at the time of. Uh, right is ritually impure at the time of the wedding and uh press love got into and dress code right lots of there's just a lot of things a great episode it, it's like the yitro of of this of the show right like there's so much you could use yeah yeah there's a lot there's a lot we only have one week to talk about it yeah. but like yeah when i saw the like the need it was like this is uh this is our topic because it's it's a really complicated one if right again it's not so complicated to avoid it, but one, if if you don't avoid it, and um, you know what happens here happens, and you know it creates a whole lot of issues. Also, keep in mind, by the way, that halakhically, um, when a woman is in a state of nida, typically that lasts for twelve days. So it's not like we're talking a day or two days. We're talking twelve days. So it's uh, you know, this is like a pretty serious problem we're dealing. Um, so anyway, so so that's we all. Talk, we should have just taught Nita. Could also just teach Nita, you know, little by little, topic? you know, in in, in pieces. Uh, we teach things in pieces, I guess. So yeah, so so um, so that's our topic today, which you know, again, is sort of a a a big conversation here. And I mean, there's a lot of pieces that not just you know, it's not just halachic, but there's also the questions of like, do you tell the rabbi? Do you like all these things that are going on here? If this were to happen, and I like, totally understand them saying we're just not going to tell the rabbi. Um, but then, you know, also pieces about like they shouldn't actually be sleeping in the room together if they're, you know, in, married in such a state. They shouldn't be in the yichud room together without another person there. Right? Like, there's there's just so many pieces here that make like every aspect of the wedding that went, you know, the way you planned it, no longer applicable. Um, so, you have yeah. to- you have to take two steps back because they can sleep in the same room in two separate beds if they were like in their fifth month of marriage. Or but, their second day of marriage. Yeah, I was just, I was giving you a little yeah. bit more time <laughs> right. there. But you have yeah. to explain why that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so, sorry. We um, talked about this earlier. There's, right, generally we have the rules of Yihud, of, you know, pro, uh, prohibited seclusion that a man and woman who are not married nor related to one another cannot be alone in a place together where they're secluded, where you know doors are closed, whatever, like um, or something could happen. Now, typically, if there's a second woman or a second man, it's not a, it's not really a big, it's not a big deal. It's not considered Yihud. In this case, though, it's actually the case that we are the most strict about when it comes to Yihud seclusion because of the fact that we know these people are attracted to one another, given the fact that they married one another, and the fact that we know that they have not had sex and are not currently allowed to have sex. Um, so, but, like they're, but they like know that it's coming, so they're like a little bit more excited, and the rabbis, a la everything else, the rabbis always think that they're not going to have any way of like controlling themselves, even though they know that she's in Nida, and so they need even more separation because sex is something that is kind of like tangible but not not yet like it's like it's closer than it ever has been anyway continue yeah i'm no, just gonna so, i'll uh, continue giving commentary to all of your stuff sure was someone else chiming in there was that my no. imagination no that was just you okay um so 
so it, this is a case where we're more we're more strict. We say, you know, the, the Talmud says that the man sleeps among the men and the woman sleeps among the women, which we understand to mean, you know, they can't just have one additional person in an, like if they're staying in the same apartment, they need at least one quote unquote chaperone of each gender to be with them. Um, also in the Yichud room, uh, the Ramah, the, you know, the sort of main Ashkenazi post that talks about how like they would stick kids in the room and, you know, it's for the, for, for that entire period of time duration that they're in need of, they would sort of like, Hey, hang out with your nephew and niece, you know, nephew and niece, why don't you go hang out with this couple for a few days um, so that they're not alone together during the day. Right. Oh, Sorry. My favorite thing that I read about this was that someone would also would send in, you would have to know that the woman's Anita, but that someone would send in the um, waiter, sorry, I couldn't think of the English word, a waiter with champagne to do a l'chaim, because then all of a sudden there's someone else in the yichud room and they don't have to worry about being alone. Anyway, mm-hmm. continue. Yeah, so there's different ways. Ravo Vadya, the main, and I didn't bring this on the sheet that we looked at earlier, but Ravo Vadya, the main Sephardi um, posik, the size of Jewish law of recent time. You talked about sort of stick a, stick a little kid in the Yichud room. Um, Rav Moshe Feinstein, who we saw, says, you know, you know, he deals with this case. He's actually is responding to a question from his son, Rav David Feinstein, who, said, who passed away this past year, um, in which they say, like, you know, the women, you know, I have a case of what the woman's embarrassed. She doesn't want people to know. And they say, you know, Tell, tell one friend beforehand so that that friend can sort of be hanging out in the Yehud room. Yeah. You know, hidden. So like other people don't see them, not like hidden, but enough hidden that it's not visible to everyone else, but there's that one person there with them. Um, so right, the, it's not just the halakhic piece. There's like a real recognition of the pastoral sensitivities around this, which has to, you know, apply sort of across the board with issues related to Nida. Um, but particularly here on the wedding day where, you know, something is now going, you know, very much not according to their plan. Yeah. Norm. And then we'll get back to Michael's question. Oh, sure. I, I just wanted to say that they did have that photographer come in into the Yichud room who was being a, you know, very nudgy interfering guy. And I thought, I said, I turned to Rachel and I said, when we had Yichud, they sure didn't do that. Right. But uh, it also reminded me that, um, the Rebetzin Esther Youngreis, Aleva Shalom, um, who founded this, she was a Hungarian Rebetzin in America who founded this movement she called Hinnini that was basically proselytizing among Jews to become more from. Um, I remember very clearly hearing her uh, speak at one of the sessions I attended of hers where she said that only the bride can set the wedding date. And I was somewhat confused at first, but the reason was that only the bride can predict when she'll be having her period and make sure that they don't schedule the wedding for the time when she's not, when she's going to be Nida. And obviously in this case, um, either that wasn't attempted or it just failed. But I also feel like, no, if she's in her thirties already and she's maintained her virginity this long, another week or a week and a half, not such a big deal. Right. Yeah, well, that's kind of what Ryu, I mean, Kodaya says to her, right? She's like, it's just sex. Don't worry about it. Like, it'll happen later. You'll be fine. <laughs> like, it's like, just get a, get on with it. Have a good wedding. Don't worry about it. But yeah, you're exactly Norm, right. would you say the same thing for the guy? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. I mean... In this case, he's also been married before, right? So that, that before, is a different... And, you know, he's pursued that beyond the marriage a little bit, but he has shown himself to be a man who's able to be, to wait. And, you know, so yes, I think he'd be able to do the extra week. After all, they're going to spend one or two weeks, almost every month, not having sex. So he can manage the extra week. Maybe he can visit the hotel after the wedding. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe they can walk to the hotel now when they're, you know, out and walking around at night. So, yeah. Uh, Denise, you have your hand up. So, um, okay, two things. First thing is a lot of the friends that I grew up with um, became very religious as adults. So when they got married and now when their daughters are getting married, everybody went on the pill and had a three-month engagement and they knew when to set the wedding date. 
So um, I just wondered why that wasn't the case on the show. Um, and then the other thing was, like, usually Halacha is so concerned about how people feel. And there's so many stringencies to not embarrass. And, and you know, there's teachings that even in the Torah, when it writes about certain things, we write it in a, like a backwards roundabout way to not insult like a bird who's not kosher. So why aren't there more safeguards against embarrassment in this situation? Like why yes. is why is Nita so much more important than the absolute humiliation of however many hundreds of people knowing? I mean, it's just like, oh my God. I mean, you know, so the first question, I think it's because it's a storyline, you know, like, right, that, that um, right, it's, it's a storyline of something that could happen again. We like, we, we try really hard premarital counseling to make sure that this doesn't happen. Um, so like, right, that's the best way to, to not have this situation is to, to pre-plan. Um, and, you know, as Norm was saying, the, you know, the woman sets the wedding date, whatever, or you go on the pill. Again, even in Haredi circles, people go on the pill pre-wedding. There's no halakhic issue with going on the pill pre-wedding because it's not functioning as birth control. They're not having sex, um, right? So very common sort of across the Jewish world for people to go on birth control women to go on birth control before the wedding in order to make sure things line up the way they're supposed to. Um, but to that second question, what happens, you know, in this situation, for whatever reason, they didn't plan correctly or whatever. And, you know, and this happens. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a huge issue. And so the question is, how can you do it so that it's not super embarrassing? Right. So with Yichud, that, you know, maybe you stick a friend in the room that no one notices. Maybe you, you know, the the bride wears fancy, you know, fancy gloves that look like they're part of the outfit, that, you know, and he puts the ring on top no, of the right? You're so like, I'm thinking, God willing, one day I'll be a bride. And like any of those things would be mortifying because everybody knows what they need. Yeah, I'm sure. And, yeah. and even if one person sees it, it's a Jewish wedding. All 500 people are going to know in 10 minutes. Right. So. Right. Right. So, you know, why isn't there more sensitivity to safeguard that? Yes, I'll, I'll answer as a woman. Um, I, I think that, <laughs> um, just to save you a little, um, I think that there is something, there is something about what this story does in terms of them not deciding to tell the rabbi or what I shared before of, you know, some halachic authority saying, of course, you can put that ring on her finger. Just make sure you don't like hold her hand afterwards, right? That you're not going to, there's not going to be so much touching that that's going to be a real problem. In terms of the ketubah, I've seen many in, you know, not from weddings, the ketubah, instead of just being handed straight to the woman, it gets handed to, you know, the, the other person so she can hand them their flowers. Like, those kinds of workarounds, I don't think, even in the firmest of communities, would would make you think, oh, she must be Anita. Um, so there are workarounds. I mean, I think that that's exactly what this episode is trying to show us. And, and people know about those workarounds and, and know that that is exactly what you're getting at, which is it's not fair for a woman's body to decide now that an entire community is going to know whether or not I'm going to be sleeping with my husband at the end of this event. Um, and so you're right, a hundred percent right. And those are all the things that you would do. There's a ton of police activity outside my house, so I'm sorry if it's very loud. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, Renee, you have your hand up. So two things. One, I agree with um, Denise, but there is a lot of, you know, even in the best laid plans, if she were to go on birth control and they were trying to try to plan the date, I mean, all the nervousness and whatever, it can, you can still, you know, all the best laid plans or whatever the rest of that thing, sentences. Number one. Number two, there are many um, situations in the halacha, from what I know, where where certain situations are worked around so that embarrassment doesn't play a factor, right? Like if somebody goes to shake the hand of a religious man and and the person is is not aware that they're not allowed to touch, out of respect, he should shake her hand, right? Mm -hmm. And, and there, there are so many other situations where, where the religion works around a 
puts in a, a failsafe that it doesn't make sense that when it comes to the wedding that it wouldn't put in a failsafe too because i mean you can't exactly cancel a wedding you know the day of if you happen to something happens to happen yeah i mean i think that this is actually something without talking about nita or talking about weddings that's happening to people all the time right now right you have dreams of something you have dreams of a bar mitzvah you have dreams of the bris you're gonna have for your child you have you have dreams of these life cycles and how they're going to go. And then all of a sudden, something like, oh, I don't know, a pandemic happens. And you all of a sudden are dealing with a very different life cycle. And you have to create those workarounds. And so it's very similar. I hadn't thought about it until you actually just framed it this way. But it's very similar to this, to this example. Because what we're seeing in Yifat is not her disappointment that she can't hold his hand under the chuppah. Like, I think that... I think that is something that like you would be sad, sure, fine, maybe, but like you would get over it. But I think it's the general imagination of what the whole experience should have been like. He should have been able to hand me my ketubah. He should have been able to give me, you know, the cup of wine after he drank from it without the rabbi having to drink in it, uh, drink it in between us, right? There, there, those are moments that you never think about needing to implement until you're in the situation where you're thinking about it. And so, and even talking to the rabbi, because they felt like if they had told the rabbi the truth, he probably would have said, it's not Shaykh. There's no wedding. Uh, no, what if you wouldn't have there's no the wedding. wedding. Yeah. yeah. There would have been a wedding. Put on a glove, you know, yeah. right. There would have been a lot of things that you would have, like the ketubah would have gone to the, this person and then gone to her. And then the wine would have gone from the groom to the, probably the rabbi, then back to her. I mean, there are a lot of like workarounds here, but, but nothing would have gone from groom man, I guess in this case to woman. Um, except for potentially that ring if you are very careful to put it on her finger. Um, let me answer Michael's question because now we've, we've gotten like six questions deep past that question. Um, so, and I'm curious to know what your dad actually would say to this question, though I think I know the answer to the reform movement. Um, the, so the question was, what does the conservative, what would the conservative movement hold by this if this, if a woman who was getting married had her period, would we hold by the same halachot in terms of hilchonita, right? In terms of making sure that you're not touching, making sure that you um, uh, are not passing things, all of that. So the truth in any good conservative Judaism discussion is maybe um, it really just depends on the couple. It depends on if the couple is deciding to uh, take on the, the laws of Nita for them as a couple. It depends on if you know enough about all of these workarounds that we just talked about to to get through the experience like Yifat and Amir did without having to tell anybody about it. Um, it really just depends. As a conservative rabbi, I do similar to what I think Rabbi Pernick just mentioned, which is when I'm working with a couple, one of the things I mentioned is you might want to go to mikvah. And if you go to mikvah, you can't be on your period. So just let's try to not pick a date where that's going to be an issue. I will also say just as a woman, most brides don't want to be on their period on their wedding. Um, so Nita or no Nita, I think that most women have in their minds that they're not going to choose a day where if they look at their calendar, uh, they're going to have to be worrying about that also. Uh, but that's just an aside. So I think in terms of the conservative movement, it, it depends as a conservative rabbi, I don't go through the laws of Hilchot Nida with a couple unless they are interested in going through them with me. It's not something that we impose on the couple um, as, as a matter of you must do this to get married. You must learn the laws. You must, we don't do color classes. I'll put it that way. Um, so that's, that's the difference. And in true conservative form, yeah. Or no, or maybe and sometimes. Uh, Norm, do you have a question? You just have to unmute first. There. Have either of you ever had this actually happen with a couple that you were going to marry? So I've only done one wedding. 
Um, and, so have you? <laughs> no. So I mean, I talked to the and like I did one wedding. It was a friend. Uh, the the kala, the bride was a friend. You know, and so I raised you know I raised the topic months out of just like by the way mikvah and she was like yeah i know like she's not from but her family like her you know they're israeli she's a woman who's about to wear a white dress like she's she gets- a woman her family's yeah. israeli like they know you know and she was like yeah, yeah don't worry about it i'm like we're talking to my mom we know the drill it's like okay great and i didn't ask any further questions which is like the appropriate right like you're not supposed to like be checking in day of like by the way you know like I, I raised it months in advance and no one said anything different to me. So we're good. And I didn't ask any further questions. Well, I'm saying that because it actually, um, in one of, in the Shulchan Aruch, he says something about like, you shouldn't say something the day of like the rabbi, like, like, yeah, don't, don't bring it up if it's not, uh, you know, unless it's mentioned to you. Yeah. But I, you know, assume that uh, people have figured it out, but if they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, then you, then you would have to actually talk about what are the rules for mikvah and so forth for, you know, Need a uh, I have I I have done weddings and um, I, oh. <laughs> plural <laughs> um, and uh, I've actually had this happen twice, but neither couple practices the laws of Nida, um, and so it was much more an issue around um, my comfort and whether or not I was going to say you know, we'll pass the katu, but like they didn't care, nor did they really know. I don't think definitely one of the couples had no clue. Uh, the other couple maybe had a little bit of a clue, but they just mentioned to you, like, by the way, like, I mean, again, like when you're a female rabbi, these things come up, like it came up. Yes. Uh, do you want me to tell you how? No. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> the idea, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about with Rabbi Pernick for all of these reasons. Um, but this is, uh, it's a thing that comes up, I think, especially if there's like a close friend or if it's somebody who they want to understand uh, the rules around, especially mikvah, right? If they get it the morning of and they're planning on going to the mikvah, do I still go? Obviously, the answer is no. Can I go to another body of water? Sure, fine. Um but uh, so yes, it has happened to me twice. But again, not not through like the laws of Hilchonita, just more so again women getting married, not wanting to have their period on their wedding day. Uh, Rebecca or Leonard, or both. Hi. Yeah, we're gonna speak in unison. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we have so much in common. Um, so in the show, um, you fought has her period the day of. Yeah. But I'm assuming that it wouldn't be any different had this happened the day or two before. I mean, every, everything else would be the same, right? Yeah, the only thing that she kind of avoided was that she had already been to mikvah. So she was able to get that in rather than not being able to. But yeah, in terms of practice and in terms of things that they had to kind of wade through, no pun intended, uh everything would have been the same, right? Right, Pernick? I'm talking a lot today, much more than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, that's true, right? There, there, you're right, there, there wouldn't be a practical difference other than, you know, like you said, the fact that in this case, she went to mikvah that morning of, which is kind of like part of the envisioned wedding. Whereas if she had, you know, had, you know, gone on her period three days earlier, she wouldn't have been able to go to mikvah at all. Um, but other than that, there wouldn't be a change. Is um, is a woman in Nita allowed to go to the Kotel and touch it or go to synagogue? What in terms of. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, you know, generally the idea is that like also like ritual items can't in, like a Torah can't absorb impurity. So this is, comes up in Orthodox context a lot about, you know, one of the reasons if you go to a, a more, say, centrist to right-wing Orthodox synagogue, they'll say, you know, why don't we pass the Torah around to the women's side? Oh, it's because some of them might be in Nida and touching the Torah in, in Nida. Like, the Torah can't absorb Tuma um, because it's the Torah. So, um, I mean, the Kotel, some, like, you know, Kotel similarly, like, a woman who's in Nida touching the Kotel does not make the Kotel become Tame. Um, so, yeah, so those things going to show all of that is you know, it's fine, but like certain things that are very annoying, like passing keys back and forth and, you know, passing cups back and forth, you know, are, are problematic. So, 
Um, Robert I, asked I, if the Nina issues comes up at a reform wedding. I just told your dad that he should yeah. <laughs> that he should mention I'm it. In. Uh, so that was we did that at the same time. Great. <laughs> Robert obviously has ESP and and is wasting his talents on whatever it is he does with his life because that was <laughs> that was real. I, I I really thought that was like a follow up from you. So it's amazing. Um, it's it's not a question that comes up. I mean, it's really something that. You know, I mean, obviously, this year, as was mentioned, I've had a lot of brides or couples who had their, you know, the wedding that they imagined transformed or postponed or, you know, whatever. But Nida is, uh, you know, other than on occasion when it comes up, and as Rabbi Schatz said, I'm sure it comes up more naturally with a woman rabbi than with a a male rabbi. Um, There have been a few cases over the years, I also have officiated at plural weddings um, since I was ordained in 1982. So yeah, I've, I've done a few, but the, you know, I have mentioned to a few brides when somehow it did come up, you know, you may want to make sure in terms of your monthly timing, the, setting the date of the wedding. And I had never heard that before, but it's actually very interesting about the bride being the one to set the date. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. But Nita is not, an issue that uh, is really dealt with in Reform Judaism. Other than, you know, going to the mikvah, which some brides will choose to do. Right, right. Other questions, thoughts, comments? Anybody want to talk about the two separate beds? Yeah, Debbie. So I just thought, I thought it was an interesting parallel that poor Yifat, you know, she couldn't have sex on her wedding night. And there's Hodiah having sex on Yifat's wedding night. After saying, I haven't done anything, tell me how it is, you know, and then, right, like, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was very interesting. Um, so we, we can talk about the two beds. Oh, Hold on. Karen has her hand up. Karen has her hand up. Oh, oh I was mentioning, I was thinking of another thing Yeah. at the hospital when, what's his name's mother dies? He's mm. on this side and they're on that side. Mm. The family. And that's how I imagine him. Mm. In terms of relationship. Okay. And my That's the doctor and you coming out. Um, I really loved the, the, the moment where she was veiled at the wedding and the mother was um, not unveiled, but like the, the sheet over the deceased mother was brought back. I thought that was a really beautiful way of showing those two moments in uh, the cinematography. Other thoughts or questions or comments about Nita? Rabbi Pernick, plural wedding. Oh. <laughs> yeah. no, he, he means plural weddings as in more than one wedding. More, yeah. I, uh, He's yeah. been out in the world as a rabbi longer than the yeah. other Rabbi Pernick and myself. Yeah, yeah, correct. He has done, I have done plural of other yes. life I have never life. officiated at a wedding with more than one bride and one groom. <laughs> No, that's not true. At the same time. You've had multiple brides or multiple grooms. Not at the same chuppah. Sure. You've done same-sex weddings. That's true. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. yeah. More than one rabbi. Yeah, totally. You can mm-hmm. definitely have more than one rabbi. Oh, sure. Um, my parents actually got married at Temple Beth Am, um by four rabbis and they just like took turns doing things which there's not that many things so they just did different things under the chuppah uh but yeah you can definitely have more than one rabbi anytime that you want Rabbi Pernick and I to do a wedding together we had two rabbis. I will have a lot of fun with that <laughs> we had two rabbis and two chazanim at, at Beth Am. At your, at your wedding, yeah, yeah. For the record, I would be honored to co-officiate with Rabbi Schatz. So. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Arnie. <laughs> uh... I, yeah, I, I've got a question. Actually, uh, Rabbi Pernick for the senior Rabbi Pernick. Um, how, how common in the reform movement uh, is it right now for the... Um, what, what is the... The, the room, the, the Yichad, where you go into the... <laughs> Yehud, uh, we did it. We did it uh, for our wedding um, as Reform congregants. But I'm wondering how uh, how common it is. Of course, we had a very traditional wedding with the bride marching around the groom and and right. also the. 
but but I, I'm just curious um, how how common that may be today. I, I think it's pretty standard. I mean, what I tell every couple is, look, you're dealing with Jewish people. I mean, forget about the pandemic. You're dealing with Jewish people, and in most cases, you've got a cocktail hour. So even your parents, you know, if there's a choice between the hors d'oeuvres or greeting their child who's newly married, the parents are going to pause. That's a tough one, right? So I tell every single couple, take your 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you want. The bride has to be bustled or debustled de- or un. I've still never figured out what exactly that is. Right, the okay. Whatever. I just know it's something that needs to be done. Yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah. And I just say, you know, you're going to be spending the whole day or the whole night with all these people. Enjoy the first 15, 20 minutes of your married life together. It's the only privacy you're going to have the rest of the day and the night. So, and they do, and they appreciate that because, you know, cocktail hours go on way too long anyhow. So, even if they took half an hour, you know. So I, I think most people do that. Um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with people really doing like receiving lines after a wedding or, you know, I mean, occasionally, occasionally people go right from the ceremony right to the reception. But I, I at least in my own personal experience, which is really all I can talk about, um, virtually everybody has some type of yichud, which as I've, you know, come to learn, does not necessarily mean what most people think it comes to mean. Right. I mean, you, what most people think Yichud is all about is not what's really happening in that room. Right. So, right. It's, you know, and this is the idea of, right, and this actually came up when we were talking about a chupat nidav. You know, what happens if they, you know, they got married, but before they were intimate with one another, she, you know, had her period. And, the truth is, halakhically, we don't actually care if they had sex. We just care that they were t- alone together long enough that they could have had sex. And so that's sort of why the first thing immediately once we're done with the chuppah is go to the yichud room, in the yichud room t- together 10 minutes. Like, after that, it doesn't matter if they have sex. Like, it, you know, we don't actually care about whether they, quote unquote, consummated the marriage, but they halakhically did because they were alone long enough. Um, and right, most people, again, as we saw in this episode, you know, there's a tradition to fast on your wedding day. So if you're getting married, not first thing in the morning, like people are thirsty and are hungry and they know that they're going to be dancing and jumping, right? Like, so it's, it's also like a chance to just, usually there's a nice spread in there and like have some water, have some food, relax. Like, um, yeah. So one of my good friends was adamant that they, they were going to do the equal room the right way. Um, so I wondered, it was like, that was, you know, where they actually did, they were like, we are having sex in the Yichud room, we're doing it. Um, but that was like his thing, uh, he and his wife, but like, generally it's not done. So, I mean, it can be done, but it's, you know, generally. So. I hope that they listen to this podcast. Okay. Um, I... Getting podcasts there. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That was just a very, that was... Yeah, that's yeah. an intimate story. Okay, uh, Rebecca and Leonard. And then the one thing I was going to say is that I also think that Jewish weddings have just become a thing that people people assume that they know what's like what's happening, and it starts with this and it ends with this, and then you go into this room to be alone to eat and drink and bustle my dress, right? And I think that that across the movements, whether or not you know the terminology for all of those pieces. That kind of seems to be standard, even for the most secular of people getting married in today's day, which is the only time that I can speak for as being a rabbi. But they tend to kind of know know the steps, even if they don't know why. They've seen enough weddings that they know that the bride and groom get kind of hustled into this other room uh, where they get to be alone for a little while. Okay, Rebecca and Leonard. Okay. Hi. So two things. Uh Number one is that um, we fasted on our wedding day, but it was a very hot day. It was like, I don't know, 103 or something in the valley. And so I fasted all the way until just before the chuppah, where I decided it was probably better for me to have a drink of water than to faint under the chuppah. And uh, so that's number one. Number two, a few years ago, we went to a wedding of one of our um, Haredi cousins in Muncie, New York. Mm -hmm. And um, 
after they broke the glass, after the wedding ceremony was over, something happened, which I've never seen in another wedding. And that was everybody kind of rushed up to the stage, up to the front to congratulate the bride and the groom, rather than letting them get away for the first few minutes there. Mm. That just seemed very counterproductive or counterintuitive. Did they run up to the bride and groom and then take them into the Yichud room or they just stayed up there at the chuppah? No, they stayed up there at the chuppah and they were there for a while. I, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or something before they, you know, allowed the couple to escape from the room. That's why we usually have the band up there and the band, you know, as soon as the Imeshkache glass is broken, like right right away and do 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 right? And then like, well, I mean, I assume that's their cousin. I mean, obviously they know the rules. So I assume that's right. their cousin to do that. But, but yeah. this, also, this also is a community where, as we found out on our bus ride there, there were several weddings that night. You know, multiple people go to, you know, go to different weddings. So there were multiple things going on. And in the RSVP for this wedding, there were like at least three different levels of RSVP that you could do. I'm going to come to the chuppah only. I'm going to come to the dinner. You know, I'm going to come to the, you know, the reception before the wedding. You know, so there were various levels. So maybe people who went to congratulate weren't going to be yeah. saying I'm going to the dinner. Could yeah. Be. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Welcome, Rabbi Parnik. Yes. No, not you. Oh. <laughs> oh, my dad is a In Israel. <laughs> What's that? No, I didn't realize your hand. I was up. calling on you, but he answered. Ah, okay. He wasn't paying attention. I That's pay attention to you. Um, when Rab- when Josh's cousin Ohad was getting married a couple of years ago, and we were at the wedding. Now, this is both, well, I assume the bride. I don't know the bride. The groom's family certainly are very, very Chiloni, totally secular. And they were married in a beautiful area outside of Tel Aviv. Of course, everything was strictly kosher, which we were very pleasantly surprised at. And when I asked, you know, the, the like the wait staff, and they said, "Oh no, 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 everything's everything's glot here," but the people weren't. But it was beautiful and all of that. And um, you know, they had their chabad rabbi, you know, because you, you know you need an Orthodox rabbi in Israel. And ceremony's over, and exactly as was described, we were very surprised. Everybody from yeah. the congregation rushed the chuppah. Wow. And the couple stayed there. So it was, they weren't doing the, you know, Odishama and the rest of that. So we were surprised, but we went up. I mean, we would have been the only one sitting. So. Wow. I know that there's a thing, and I don't know where it's from, but I know there's a thing about going under the chuppah and like giving a bracha or getting a bracha or something that like, if you're under someone's chuppah, that that's supposed to bring you like. That was sort of referred to in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, I mean, I know that in terms of like getting brachot from the bride and groom for sure, but supposedly like stand, I've seen a lot of people do it, like taking even a little bit of the wine from the cups that are used and drinking them and then saying a bracha under the chuppah. I've seen it at most of the weddings that I've done and I never knew about it until I was officiating weddings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. So it's possible that like that's also part of it in Israel. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, you know, and the uh, brachas, you know, usually that's more pre-wedding that, you know, the giving the blessings. But yeah, it's like really these things. It's also like with, um, you know, at a bris, like the, yeah. the um, sandak, you know, people come and get a bracha from the sandak. Like there's there's sort of these, you know, what the what the breast love guy was saying about, you know, a king, you're, you're like, you're like a male king you know so there's sort of that idea of like uh, you know um also with the bedeckin you know people coming to the bride to get blessings and and interesting that that the formula for brachot was a mishaberach which is also really interesting i think that if you were to say to someone in america like give me a blessing i don't know if they would actually go to mishaberach um and it i don't know that was a fascinating not enough like for a whole class but it was a fascinating thing that kept on recurring in the episode that I thought was really interesting that people actually had um, verbiage for how to come up with a blessing just like on the spot. And that's not something that I see many people in, including rabbis who have to sit at people's bedsides and come up with brachot, you know, on the spot. It's, it's often difficult for people and it seemed to come very naturally uh, to Amir and to Ifat. <clears throat> Hold on one second, Michael, because Renee had her hand up, and then we'll call on you next. 
I just was going to say that it's the same thing as what you're saying. Like they go the, when the Kala goes to the hotel with a list of, uh, of friends of hers that she has that are, that are not yet married yeah, to, yeah. to do a special bracha. Uh, Yudan had a friend from Aish that did it for all of their, all of the Aish friends that were single. She yeah. took all the names, men and women that were single. My, my favorite, one of my favorite lines in the episode was when Hodaya said, you don't think God's going to know me if you just say Hodaya? <laughs> and, you know, for her, to, for her to have to say, no, I'm going to give you my full name and you're going to, you're going to remember it and you're going to say it. Um, okay, Michael. Uh, just the only point I wanted to make is you mentioned a Mishaberach. That's, that's a tefillah that we say when you have an aliyah. So that, that seems to make sense. Well, yeah, sort of the, the intro, right? The intro of the Misha Berach Avotein You know, may God who blessed them, may you bless this person, and may you give him X, Y, and Z. Right? So it's sort of it's a formula that works. Um, you know, all, the alternative is kind of the Yehirat Zone. May it be your will. You know that that right? Those are kind of the two main ways to sort of start spontaneous blessings i would say to me it's just surprising that they even knew to like use that as a spontaneous blessing right like, Sparty. Sfardim do blessings a lot no sorry it's true like Sfardim like do blessings it's like a thing that they do much more than ashkenazim do so okay. so yeah um rabbi parnik because you were so excited about the topic and we have a little bit of time would you like to venture into the two bed topic uh is, i mean i imagine it'll reappear okay. no we don't have to it's up to the two beds. I mean, I feel like that's more of like a, a a married, you know, Nita while married kind of topic. Whereas this one is more like Nita when getting married topic. So I imagine we'll get into that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, well, you just had a very nice, uh, everyone just had a very nice window into, we will talk about that at some point. Um, just like we talked about mikvah pre, you know, back before we talked about, you know, single, single women in mikvah, you know, all right. these things. Little by little, over the course of you know two we'll seasons, you end up getting like boat. you get you learn yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> kind of thing, so um okay any other thoughts questions I, I had a thought that was not really related to that but I think that right. with the rabbis who are present that you know you had Nati who is at the wedding and you know he's got to serve as an aide right? Very, very big honor, very important thing. And he gets the call that, you know, his mom is dying. And, you know, he's got to make one of those decisions. And to me, where that hit me, and I don't know about with with you, is just in terms of missing out on something that is, you know, really, really important in one's life because of one's career. You know, that's, uh, you know, in this particular case, you know, he's, he makes, he makes a decision and, you know, he goes to his mom after she's dead and he says, Slicha. you know, it's like, you know, what, what can he do? But you can't have that moment over again. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes you have those just really, really tough choices. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also sort of this like, yeah, Kibbutz Avim, right. I mean, he should have gone earlier is the truth. He should have, when his brother was calling, you know, when he, when he's first getting the call the first time when they're hiking, you know, we assume it's the hospital calling just because it's a ship, right? That's sort of how they do it. Because he you also assume, says, I've been there every day. I've been there every day, right? You know, and then you realize what's going on and he should have left. He should have been with his mom, right? Yeah. Like, but I think, you know, I think there's complicated emotions. He also, I think, doesn't want to, uh, you know, leave Amir because obviously he has a history with Ifat and he doesn't want it to, to seem like I'm... I can't handle you marrying Ifat, right? I think that's like a piece that's going on very strong, right? Even the fact that his mom wanted so much more than anything in the world for him to get married. And now it's like the woman who he could have married's wedding day, right? Like there's like all of these things that are all. I did not think about any of that at all. That that is much more thinking into this than I did. Um, Wow, that's that's a good point though. Yeah, Rabbi Barbara. Well, it's, it seems to me that they are such good friends, they're roommates, that he wouldn't sh- that he wouldn't share that his mother is dying with right. with you know with with Amir, who of course is much more compassionate than Nati. And so he would have, you know, insisted that that Nati be with um his mom. 
Mm -hmm. And it just, it seems to me that that's, it's, it's typical of not to not include people in his life. I mean, I think what it also does is it makes Amir think, oh, Nati's just being immature, being, right? Like, whereas if he said, look, my mom's really sick. She's in the hospital. She's dying. I'm really sorry. Like, but he just, he doesn't want to have those kinds of tough numbers. You know, totally. Very much Nati being. Um, how about Denise? So I took it as that Nati was being really sensitive, Um and that he didn't want to ruin Amir's wedding day or even the days leading up to it. He, I don't think he imagined that his mom would pass on that particular day. Right. You know, so he didn't foresee the, the conflict. But I think he, um, my sense of it was that he didn't want to kind of take away from his friend's joy. And I felt really sad for him that when he wasn't there for the ketubah, that everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, he's just irresponsible and, you know. Right. And like here he was and you know, in a very different moment than what they were all thinking. Right. And I think that that's part of I mean, obviously it's a TV show and so they want us they want us to do exactly that is to to feel badly for the fact that everyone is assuming something about him because his character for an entire season um was one way and now he seems to be showing some kind of compassion or at least creating um almost new rules for himself about what takes precedent. And he, he goes after being with family. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think he, I think in that moment, it's too bad that people assumed the worst of what he could have been right. doing or not doing. Right. And that, and he was really taking care of something very important. Uh, Renee, and then we will. One of the things that really bothered me also with regards to friendship was when they, the two girls went to the hotel and the lady asked her to, first of all, she knows, I'm sure she knew growing up from that she needed to wear a dress or a skirt to the hotel. Yeah. Okay. Fine. But she didn't happen to be wearing it or whatever. But the fact that she didn't, that she refused to do that, it really bu- bugged me because here's her best friend getting married. Like, is it going to kill you to put on a skirt to go with your best friend to the hotel for two seconds? It's not going to take away from your wanting to become more chiloni. You know, it's it's showing that, you know, you're thinking about your friend more than you're thinking about yourself in this few minutes period. I felt I felt because she said last week, though, she said last week, I have to be really serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. I felt when exactly. Talking about how are they going to do it? I felt exactly the same way. And I think that just like everything, we don't know what's going to be a trigger for somebody and we don't know what's going to kind of set them over there the edge in terms of being uncomfortable or being put into a situation that now all of a sudden is taking them back to a time that made them unhappy or we we just we don't know and so i thought that i i agree with you that that she should have just put it on and walked down there but i actually thought that the compassion came from Yifat in allowing her to not go down with her um that she was such a good friend that she realized okay i'm not going to push that button right if you know someone well enough you know how to not get them to that ledge because you don't want to fall over it <laughs> with them. You want to you want to let them just handle it on their own. Um, and I think that that was very kind of her and very mm-hmm. compassionate of her. Um, Karen had her hand up, and then it's um, when uh, what's his name got the phone call and said, I've, "I've been there every day." I asked yeah. for time off. I thought it was the hospital calling him yeah. for his duties, his rounds. Mm-hmm. So it really was his brother or the second phone call was the brother? I think the first one was also his brother. I think yeah. it's it's made to appear that it's the hospital calling him, but it's actually, I think we sort of realized from the second call it is actually his brother. Um, and he's sort of saying, I, I just need a day. Yeah, so it's sort of done in that way that you you know you don't realize what's happening at first. Um, I just want to I'll add, not that I really have anything to add on it. My dad asked about the um, the whispering into the ear of the deceased. Mm. You know, the guy who says you need to whisper in the ear. You know, so I don't, Which I'm not a customer. 
It's such an Israeli thing, by the way, to like come to the <laughs> hospital room where someone has died and be like, let me tell you something you got to do yeah, right now. Very, and you have to do it. Yes. And very, I know better than you do. So let me tell you what to do. Yes, anyway, continue. Yes. Very Israeli. I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know, like when the... When someone passes away, we open the window, right? There's all these kinds of, so that the soul can leave, right? So there's like different things that we do. That thing about the whispering so that the, you know, the angel doesn't get confused or whatever, like that's not a thing I'd ever heard, but there's so much stuff related to, especially in those like first hours after someone has passed away, you know, about the soul, you know, making it the, the smoothest transition possible for the soul and leaving the body. So yeah, that wasn't a, a per, you know, I, I had not heard of that particular custom. The guy seemed very smart, like very uh, smarty. Even what he says after, you know, when he's leaving, he says, uh, which is the smart, right? Um, Ashkenazim say, right? And that's the smarty formulation of that. So you sort of get the sense. It, it's right. And um, and generally speaking, smarty Jews, their Judaism is sort of more, there's more of like the mystical, spiritual kind of stuff in there. So things like, whispering to the dead and visiting graves of this, you know, like all the, that's sort of more a part of that kind of Judaism. Um, but yeah, it's not a thing. Uh, even the, you talk about the, the fast, you know, the fasting when Nazi's like, I'm here, you're Sparty, you don't, you know, um, so you don't need to do that. So I think was that fasting or not talking? Yeah. I think it was yeah, fasting. Yeah. So yeah, but that particular custom I hadn't heard of, but it, you know, you sort of get a, a glimpse into uh, a lot of different pieces of, of ways that, you know, there's all kinds of practices in Minhagim that some of them, you know, might not have even never heard of on these topics. Um, hopefully episode two, you know, matches, you know, like I said, there's a lot in one episode. So hopefully, uh, hopefully episode two has two beds so that we can go has back. Two beds so we can talk about two beds. Yeah, exactly. So um, we'll see where, where things lead us next week, but thank you all for joining. It's great to have you all. See y'all soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.